A reading from the book of Micah, chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid upon us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Phrathah, you who are little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient days. Therefore he shall be given up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. He shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our places, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land, and throw down all your strongholds. I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images, and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Windsor Community Church. It's great to be with you here this morning as we dive into chapter 5 of this uh, prophetic book of the prophet Micah. It's a, uh, there's seven chapters in Micah. We've, uh, we'll hit chapter five today. We've got two more to go over the next couple of Sundays. Um, I'm excited about it. I pray that you've been ministered to in uh, ways by this book that have uh, encouraged you and have turned your heart uh, towards uh, really just reflecting upon the Advent season in maybe some new and fresh ways. As I was uh, contemplating and thinking about and praying through this chapter 5, uh, it's, it made me uh, think about uh, mercy. Uh, we've titled, I've titled this sermon today, uh, Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild, and uh, from the song that we're actually going to close our service on today, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I was thinking about mercy and the times in my life where, uh, where I have um, been extended mercy or maybe where I've not been extended mercy. And uh, one of those examples is, uh, as you know, Nancy and I um, like to play gin together. And um, over the last, since 2015 on sabbatical, we've played a lot of hands of gin and uh, Nancy wins 
way more than I win. And, uh, and as I've admitted before, I used to think it was luck, but uh, over time, uh, trends uh, prove not to be happenstance or luck. So she's just a better card player than me. But she will uh, not extend mercy to me. She might uh, beat me five times in a row, and then uh, she'll say, let's not play anymore um, as she doesn't like to see me lose. That's that's mercy. Uh, ball games that are, I've been involved in Little League baseball games where the other team has been up 10 runs after five innings and they call the game. They call it the mercy rule. They don't want to inflict any more pain on the other team. And then uh, there's been times where, um, where I have sinned against others and I have sought their forgiveness and they have forgiven me. They extended mercy to me. In a recent conversation with a very dear friend of mine, we were talking about the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and discussing what the song's composer Charles Wesley had in mind when he wrote Peace on Earth and Mercy Mild, specifically the Mercy Mild part. And it carried us into a deeper conversation about the difference between mercy and grace. His eyes teared up, and he told me about a time in his life when he experienced the reality of God's mild mercy in his life. He said this, he said, before I was married, Dan, he says, I I, I got my soon-to-be wife pregnant, and we had an abortion. And then he added, I never wanted kids. And then as the Lord got a hold of my heart, he said, and as I grew in my faith and understood more and more of the gravity of my sin, at the very same time, I started to understand the amazing mercy of God. He said, I found and I saw that mercy in a God who gave me complete and total forgiveness for all of my past sins, including the sin of abortion. But then he added this. He said, he said, mild mercy, I believe, Dan, is more than just being released from a guilty charge. He says, I was guilty of the charge of sin against a holy God by aborting that child. But he says, it's, it's more than being released from a guilty charge. He said, it's also not, mild mercy is not a finger pointed at me or anyone else from a holy God and said, I'll let you off the hook this time, but don't ever do it again. And as he tried to compose himself, he described God's mild mercy as the gift of grace. He said, not only did he not give me the just punishment that I deserved for that sin and all of my sins, he gave me four children after that abortion that I can't imagine my life without. He said, that is mild mercy. That is grace upon grace. And today we're going to get a taste of mild mercy. And we're going to see the Lord extending this mild mercy to believing Israel in Micah 5. And we're going to be reminded of His mild mercy to all believers throughout all time, including you and I here today. And I want to remind you up front of a, of a um, 
of a principle, a, a principle that is woven um, all throughout scriptures. We see it several times in the Psalms. We see it in Numbers. We see it in Exodus. And I'm going to read it here from Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That's Psalm 103. And my prayer is that today and in this Advent season that you'd be reminded that the Lord is merciful, He is gracious, He's slow to anger, and He's abounding in steadfast love. That our God is lopsidedly loving. A little bit of the context for when Micah was writing, why he was writing, and who he was writing to. Micah prophesied during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah around 700 years before the birth of Christ. And I want you to hang on to that because there's some crazy prophecy in this chapter that was written uh, 700 years before Jesus was born. In the sixth year of Hezekiah's reign, the northern kingdom of Israel, also known as Samaria, was taken over and destroyed by Assyria for transgressing the covenant that the Lord had made with them. You see, the, the, the 12 kingdoms of Israel were divided and 10 of the tribes went north and two of the tribes went south. The northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed, was wiped out by Assyria because of their sins against a holy God. And that left the two kingdoms of of Judah in the south, which were made up of the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. And I wanna I wanna just bring some further context to this to this book and to help us out today. And if you would um, make if you have your Bibles, have them open up to Micah five, but also flip backwards to your left to Second Kings and keep your finger in there because we're going to be spending a lot of time in Second Kings today as well. And I'm going to read from 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 9 through 12. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came against Samaria, the northern kingdom, and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. And in the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Hala and on the Habor and on the Habor, the river of Gozan and in the cities of Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant. Even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened nor they obeyed. Back to Micah chapter 5, if we look, go back to chapter 1, verse 9, we see that Micah described the northern kingdom's wound, or Samaria's wound, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, that their wound was incurable, is the way he described it. And he said the sins of the culture that brought judgment on the northern kingdom of Samaria are now at the doorstep or the gate of Jerusalem. We talked about this in the, the first week of uh, uh, when we, uh, chapter 1 of Micah. 
And what we know is that the primary sins of that culture um, were the same as they are today. There is great um, application in this timeless truth of God's word for us here today. Uh, the, the primary sins of that culture that are the same as they are today were idolatry, covetousness, and injustice. And at the core of these behaviors is a lack of trust in the Lord. As we see in 2 Kings, they neither listened nor they nor obeyed to the Lord. They lived their life in any way they pleased. So Micah's attention in the rest of the book of Micah, really for the for the end of chapter one and chapters two through seven, is now on prophesying to the southern kingdom, to Jerusalem, and warning them of coming judgment if they don't turn from their ways, and at the same time sure hope of a deliverer. Let's take a look at verse 1, chapter 5 of Micah. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. He said, prepare for the worst. He says, your king, or judge, is on the defensive. He is scrambling to hold back Assyria. He has been struck on the cheek. It's a, it's a metaphor of humiliation for the southern kingdom's king who is now under siege. That's King Hezekiah. Back to 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 13 through 16. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And King Hezekiah of Judah sent to the king of Assyria of Lachish, saying, I've done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you oppose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. And at that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. The king is scrambling. He is all the gold and silver and precious metals he can find, he's stripping them off of the temple wall um, and he is putting them in a pile and he's saying to the king of Assyria, here, take it and leave us alone. But what we know is while the king is scrambling to save his own backside and to save God's people in Jerusalem, what we know is that God has not panicked and is calmly exercising his plan for peace. And this is for you today. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter what trial you're experiencing, no matter what you're feel fearful of, is that um, God is on his throne. There's nothing that has happened in your life. There's nothing that is happening in the past or present. There's nothing that you might fear could happen that, um, that God is not sovereign over. Listen to verse 2, Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephathrah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. 
Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. A king is coming, he's saying. A king is coming who can actually defeat all the enemies. This king is coming forth. This king who is coming forth is from of old. He's from ancient days. He is the eternal one from eternity past. Take a look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and verse 14 to get a reminder of who this king that is coming forth from old or from ancient days. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In addition, he will be the fulfillment of the ancient covenant promises, the seed or offspring of the woman from Genesis 3.15, the blessing for all the families of the earth, Genesis 12.3, and he will be the son of David, from the line of David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. He says that this coming king, this coming deliverer will be born in Bethlehem. Let that sit in just for a moment. 600 years or 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Micah prophesied that there would be a deliverer from old who would actually come and conquer our worst enemies. Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is reason 9,000 as to why this book that we preach from every Sunday and that we encourage you to mind the, depth, mind the depths of um, on a daily basis is true. And it's, it's another reason why, uh, how, how we can know that the God of the Bible is true. Let's take a look at verse 3 in Micah 5. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor, uh, excuse me, she who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Therefore, there will not be real peace until the real king, the everlasting king, has come. And in the meantime, there will be enemies that will stand between God and man and between Jews and Gentiles. And just a reminder here, as I'm going to read Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 19, is that, um, that, that, that Micah was prophesying to God's people at the time, which was Israel or the Jewish people. And anybody that is not a Jew was considered a Gentile. So let's, let's read chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 19. Therefore, remember... That at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, 
by what is called the circumcision, the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. And what Paul is saying here is that the promise was for Israel that the Gentiles had no hope and we were strangers to God's covenant promises and we had, uh, we had no hope and we were without God in this world. Then verse 13, but now, this side of the birth and cross and resurrection, but now in Christ, you who once were far off Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. There is uh, no longer Jews and Gentiles. There is the believing remnant that is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, therefore, excuse me, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. You see, Jesus came so that um, all of believing humanity could be reconciled or brought back into a right relationship with their creator. That's reconciliation, that he came and preached peace to those who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near. Verse 18, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This ruler, this deliverer, this king will bring mild mercy, not just forgiveness, but relationship. He will bring us near. We will have access to the Father um, and the Spirit. We'll be no longer strangers and aliens, but we'll be fellow citizens of his kingdom and members of his household. We're adopted into his family. That's mild mercy. And he goes into more depth in verse 4 about this mild mercy. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall, not, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great until the ends of the earth. Not only will he have mercy on them, and not only does he have mercy on us by delivering them and us from our enemies, he will stand and shepherd his flock. He is with us. He is God Emmanuel. This brings peace. It's reason to not fear. This is mercy mild, mercy with added grace. It gets better. It says that that we will dwell secure. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing that can ultimately harm us. He is Emmanuel. He will forever stand with us. He shall be great to the ends of the earth that he will reign and has reigned until the ends of the earth. Psalm 145.13 says this, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all the generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his words, and he's kind in all of his works. 
in verse 5a, He will be their peace. And He is our peace. He is your peace if you know Him. And this peace is found not in our circumstances. In fact, a lot of your circumstances are reason to not have peace, to fear. But when you think about um, God um, in His strength and in His kindness and in His love, uh, reigning and ruling, that, he will, that, that, that you and I will dwell secure because He has us and He'll never let us go. And that even though the hard things happen to us uh, that seem harsh and they are hard, we can take it to the bank that God is a loving God, a kind God. He's a God of peace. And we're not going to fully understand His plans until we're face to face with Him one day in heaven. Verse 5b says, When the Assyrians come into our land, and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against them seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword. In the land of Nimrod and its entrances, he shall, he shall deliver us from the Assyrians when he comes into our land and treads within our border. And I want to remind you, and I probably should have reminded you um, often during this series, that Assyria was Israel's arch enemy. But also Assyria is a picture of, of, uh, of the enemies of God's people throughout history. That, that Assyria is a picture of God's and our enemies throughout history. And, and uh, our greatest enemies are Satan, sin, and death. Nimrod, in verse 6, the land of Nimrod includes Assyria and other parts of the region like Babylon. Micah points to God's design of leaders here as and shepherds appointed to lead and protect and feed God's people. He says that, that, that we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. And seven and eight, whenever seven and eight in Scripture are used together, it's an idiom for a full and sufficient number of Period. In this particular case, what he's saying is that I will raise up um, seven and eight, a full and sufficient number of leaders or shepherds that are more than enough for the task to protect, to shepherd, to feed um, God's people until he returns. But even though these leaders shall shall shepherd, verse 6, they shall shepherd the land of Assyria, it's important to know at the end of verse 6 that he shall deliver, that no uh, no human can deliver. We can protect up to a point, but at the end of the day, it's only God who can deliver. Let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 28 to 35. Then the Rabshakeh, Rab Shaka is one who would uh, speak for the king. And this Rab Shaka is speaking to the southern kingdom, is actually giving the southern kingdom a warning from the evil king of Assyria. Then the Rab Shaka stood and called out in a loud voice to the, in the language of Judah, the southern kingdom. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. 
for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one of you his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern or well. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olives, trees, and honey, that you may live and not die. What this evil king is saying is that don't listen to Hezekiah, who is trying to uh, give you hope in your God and his God. I can give you your best life now. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Verse 33, has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his hand, excuse me, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Seraphim, Hena or Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? And what the king is saying, bottom line, is he's saying to all, to God's people in Jerusalem, look north. And what you see is a, is a, uh, a, a heap of rubble. Where was God? Where was your God when I was attacking them? He didn't deliver them, the northern kingdom. Why would he deliver you? Hezekiah, in desperation, did what you and I should do in desperation. And maybe we should do it before we're desperate. But this is a beautiful picture. When the heat is turned up, Hezekiah did two things. He went into the house of the Lord to pray. And he sent for wise counsel. He sent for help from his contemporary Isaiah. And one other thing I want to add to this is is not only is he going to the house of the Lord to uh, intercede and ask the Lord to deliver him, He's asking the Lord to have mercy on the people that he loves. 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and the senior priests covered with sackcloth. They were all mourning. He sent them to the prophet, prophet he sent them to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will, re- and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. There, therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Verse 5. 
your master. Excuse me, verse 5. When the servants of Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have revealed to me, reviled me, excuse me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Isaiah is given hope. He is speaking for the Lord and saying, This city will be saved. 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 32 through 34. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake, and for the sake of my servant David. And that very night, boom, the Lord did it. The king was killed. 2 Kings 19.35, and that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. What's important to note here is that the shepherds and the leaders didn't do it. The Israelites didn't do it. God defended and God delivered. And at the end of the day, God is ultimately your defender and he is your deliverer you see micah is ultimately speaking of deliverance and peace that will come to the believing remnant when the shepherd king deals decisively with the people's sin he will cancel uh, the arch enemy of sin he'll cancel um, the the debt of our sin and defeat the only powers that can really harm us in this world sin satan and death the victory against Assyria foreshadows the shepherd king's victory over the greater sins of sin and death and Satan. Let's move on along to uh, verses 7 through 9 in Micah 5. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. In verses 7 and 8, we're told that the believing remnant will be, will be among the people. If you look at verse 7, that they shall be in the midst of the people. Verse 8, in the midst of many peoples. He's saying that the, that the believing remnant are not to stay inside the four walls of Jerusalem. And here today, he said that the believing remnant are not to be stay inside the four walls of the church. We're to be in the midst of many people, that the Israelites would be dispersed, that we're to be dispersed. We're not to be a holy huddle, not a, uh, not a Christian nation that is us for and no more. But we're to go out and be due amongst the peoples, which means that we're to spread out everywhere. 
And I was thinking about dew and the, the picture of dew on a on a cool spring morning. And if you're if you're to picture that right now in the middle of winter, is that when when there is dew on your yard, a couple of things. One is is that it it is it covers everything, every blade of grass, every leaf on every tree. And then what it what it does is it brings life to our grass. It brings life to our plants. This is a picture of being in the midst of people and being uh, and uh, like like do from the Lord that we're to be a blessing as we have been blessed. And the greatest blessing that we can bring to anyone is the life-giving do of the gospel of Jesus Christ that it can bring life to death, to dead people. It can change hearts of of stone into hearts of flesh. And in verse 8, not only are we to be due, but we're, but we're lions. That Jesus is referred to as the lion of Judah in the Old Testament. And as a part of his um, household um, and citizens of his kingdom and being adopted, we're, we're lion cubs. And what God's representatives do as um, lion cubs is the, this were to bring good news, and this good news is due to some. The scriptures say that the, that the good news, the gospel, is the aroma of life to some, but it's also the stench of death of those who are per- to those who are perishing. To some it's a source of blessing, to others it's a source of fear and destruction. Verse 9. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And the, the, what I understand this verse to be is a prayer. A prayer for, uh, for, from Micah, a prayer from the believing remnant that, God, would you lift up your hand over your adversaries and cut off all your enemies. I see this as a prayer of the believing remnant. And then we see in verses 10 through 15 a list of idols that the Israelites trusted in for peace. A list of idols that they've created and that they promote and they propel forward to try to find peace in. And these are, these are um, enemies, but they're friendly enemies. That these, these idols that they have then and we have now, every one of us have us now, are, are friendly enemies that won't affect our standing as children of God. But the more that we chase after these idols, um, it will affect our peace. Because every idol, every um, God, small g, that we trust in, for our ultimate peace will disappoint us, will actually drive us to places of less peace. That peace is found in a person, not our circumstances. Peace is found in a person, not the idols that we create. And I'll just read through a few of these. I'd encourage you to spend a little bit more time in it. Um, He says in verse 10, In that day, in that day, um, he will not only destroy the hostile enemies of sin and death and Satan, but he will destroy our friendly enemies. That one, one time when he comes again to judge the living and the dead, um, there will be no more idolatry. 
um, that we will um, worship the King of Kings, the one from the ancient of days, without any distractions, without any sin. There'll be no more suffering. Satan won't be around anymore to tempt us. In that day, he will not only destroy our hostile enemies, but he will destroy our friendly enemies of idolatry. I'd encourage you to just read those four verses and think through. Um, ask God, what, what are you looking towards for ultimate peace? And confess that to him. And ask him to help you believe um, what we all at times struggle to believe. And that is, is that we can find ultimate and lasting peace in a person, not in our circumstances. And finally, in verse 15, we see that those who do not turn to the Messiah and trust in Him for the forgiveness of their sins will experience the full force of His just anger and wrath at His second coming. Verse 15, And in anger and wrath I will execute vengeance on the nations, the people, that did not obey. You see, at the end of the day, the Lord will either have the heart's or the necks of his enemies. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that all were enemies because of the fall. And that we will either, by faith in Christ's finished work on the cross, become friends, and therefore he will have his heart, I have our heart, or we will reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we will stay enemies, and one day, he will step on our neck. That He will either make us His friends or we will be His footstool. His wrath is as real as His love. But brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus Christ, the, 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 the reality is, is that your hope is sure. Your true heaven, your true home is in heaven. And one day, that true home will come down to earth and reinstate Eden where we'll have no more trials, we'll have no more burdens to bear. And I want to encourage you this morning in this Advent season to, to, to um, stand, to live in the light of His peace. Because of the Lord's mild mercy, we have peace and we can live in that peace. We can know the peace, uh, we can have peace knowing that He has forgiven us and will not hold any of your sins against you. You can have peace uh, dwelling secure knowing He will never leave you nor forsake you. You can have peace knowing that He is with you now and He is with you in every circumstance. You can have peace knowing He is forever great and sovereign and powerful. You can have peace in knowing that He is a promise keeper. And finally, you can experience this peace by trusting Him. And let me ask you this, this morning, together, Windsor Community Church, can, I, can, we, can we just can we go for it? Can we be reminded that we're here for a purpose? On, on this, this, uh, this dot on the line of eternity, this, th this dot that we call life between birth and death, that we're here for a purpose and we're here to, for uh, a gospel proclamation purpose. 
We're, we're here to not only be in the midst of God's people to build up and encourage one another, that we're to be in the midst of all of humanity, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, reaching the ends of the earth, but starting right here and being uh, the gospel do, the Lord's do, um, bringing life to people. And it's not our responsibility. We're just, just, we're just to, uh, to, to rain the good news on, uh, down on the people through our, our acts of service. And more importantly, with the proclamation of the gospel. And the results are up to the Lord. Let me pray. Father, I love you. We love you. God, we are... Um, frail um, human beings. We are uh, crackpots that you have chosen to shine the light of your glory through to a lost and broken world. And God, I thank you for that you are my peace, that you are our peace. And I thank you that you came, Lord Jesus, to bring peace. Peace with the Father reconciliation so that we're no longer enemies but friends and you've left us here to be peacemakers to to bring uh, the good news of reconciliation to this um, this lost and broken world and God would you this uh, this Christmas season this Advent season God give us opportunities to just to to be due um, and uh just on friends and family that, that we all have that are lost and broken. And I pray, God, that you bring yourself glory and that many might come to know you. We do love you. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I want to just send you out with this from... Psalm chapter 20, knowing that uh, this time of year in particular uh, could cause many of us to lose sight of the person of peace, Jesus Christ, and get lost in the very hard circumstances that many of you are experiencing. And I know that there's, uh, there's a lot in our church right now. There's a lot in our community right now. Sickness and uh, death, um, broken relationships, um, diminishing financial resources, maybe lack of employment. But I just uh, want to encourage you to uh, to turn to and and um, call out to the Prince of Peace. Let me read this to you. May this be your encouragement. Um, May it encourage you this week. May you stand on these beautiful truths this week. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in, the, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. 
Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Amen. Have a great Sunday and a great rest of the week. God bless you.